I want to thank everybody who's watching today. Uh, we have another What's Your Angle podcast. And today we have Emerson Smith on the, on the podcast. Uh, Emerson is a really, really successful guy. Uh, he's built the company Pushnami. Uh, it's been one of the fastest growing companies first in Austin, then in all of Texas. And I think nationally now you guys are ranked. Uh, it's been really impressive, really impressive to watch. And, and Emerson is what I would say an expert on just all things business and specifically technology, uh, specifically AI. Uh, that's not necessarily what they focus on, but he's very well versed in it. Uh, and then I was very surprised as we got to know each other better uh, at just how much culture has played a role in Pushnami's success. So Emerson, really excited for you to be here. Thank you so much um, for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me guys. And um, you're both businessmen that I, I respect a lot. So I'm happy to give my story and help however I can. It's awesome to have you, man. Thanks, Max. So Max, how do you, how did you guys meet? You guys have known each other for a long time. And uh, I know, you know, it's one of those things you guys are friends and then you, you, uh, it seems like both of your businesses sort of, sort of have had a similar growth trajectory at, at a similar timeline almost. Yeah. So we met in college. Uh, Emerson was uh, fraternity brothers with a bunch of my friends from Galveston that I've known my whole life is, is, Really, had we met, how we met, and, you know, <laughs> just like that group of friends, we have a lot of the same interests, uh, extracurriculars, movies, music, that kind of thing. Um, and gosh, I mean, I think it's been 20 years uh, or so. Um, it's been really interesting. I don't know if you know this, Eric, but uh, Emerson had one company before um, uh, that he started in New York, uh, moved on from that. And then to watch, it's been very interesting and and pretty awesome for me to watch Emerson, you sold out of that other company, had an idea uh, that I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on it, you know, exactly what is Pushnami, what y'all do. I know the joke for a long time was nobody knows what you do. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it's fascinating. You built a company, you got out, you're sitting at home, you have this idea. And now to watch you go from, I'm going to go rent this office with no employees. And I have this great, kind of idea of what I can do with this thing to see where you've come in such a short amount of time is, is really impressive. Uh, talk about that a little bit. What were you doing before and how did you come up with this and what are y'all, what are y'all really doing now? Yeah. Well, look, yes, I've known Max for, for over 20 years. Um, and, uh, I appreciate all those kind words, gentlemen. Uh, Max was quite the entrepreneur when I was in college cause he wasn't going to school. <laughs> he was playing in cell phones and making more, much more money than everyone else. So uh, I wish I had done that, actually. I wish I would have just dropped out of college and gone to work. I did not get a lot out of, of UT other than uh, having a really good time. Um, so oddly enough, they will let you be a part of the fraternity if you're not going to UT. They just won't. <laughs> they won't initiate you on initiation night. They will skip you. I'm fairly certain as long as you pay your dues, you're fine after you get in. So, <laughs> um, and uh, let's see. You know, I uh, I did want to share a funny story about Max before we get into that, and uh, I thought about it because I've I have so many now after all these years. Um, I do recall the f the neighbor lady incident, though, which <laughs> I believe. You know, we talked about putting on a shirt from time to time. Uh, Max used to host. He doesn't do it anymore because he doesn't want to mess up his fancy house. But also, uh, my used wife to host from doing it. The correct, correct. I wasn't going <laughs> to. You did that. Um, but he used to host these really massive crawfish boils every year, and they were a lot of fun. There'd be a band, and everybody get real crazy. Like, I, know, I think there's been like house houses before that adults use. I don't, I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> Um, the neighbor was a lady that was like causing a problem, like complaining and stuff like that. And he got on the mic and made everyone at the same time say F the neighbor lady, you know, in, in a nice word. So I, I always like that. I, I use that phrase still personally, but one of my lesser <laughs> professional moments. Yeah. Also, what's funny also, about that, <laughs> what's funny about that is I found out later it wasn't the neighbor lady that we thought it was. It was actually the lady behind us and not the lady next to us. <laughs> neighbor, neighbor lady? Who, uh, who, well, the next year, uh, the lady next to us 
came over and had a great time. Uh, and the lady behind us moved. Oh, that's great. Uh, and then I really enjoy getting to know Eric as well. Uh, he's taking me on several adventures, including uh, my first like adult 40 year old crisis bicycling adventures, you know, where you put on the pants and everything and then rock climbing where, uh, he, I hurt myself badly <laughs> for a year. I haven't rock climbed since, but thank you, Eric. That's been wonderful. So all that aside, let's see where to start after UT. You know, I've, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, and I didn't think I was going to be, I thought I was going to be an investment banker. I didn't even know what that was. I just knew they made a lot of money in your college and you're like, yeah, I'm an investment banker. But you know, graduating from a state university with a 2.2 GPA <laughs> uh, post 9-11 is not going to get you very far in the finance world, I came to find. So if it makes you uh, feel better, I have a 175 at community college. It does. It actually yeah, does. What you, where you screwed up was you should have gone to OU. I graduated with a 3.5. So you just got to get the <laughs> bar a little lower and, and it's easier to make yourself look pretty good. So. Yeah, I didn't quite think that one through, but whatever. Um, you know, I was, I was always very good at computers. And back in my day, nobody had laptops, they had desktops. And they would break and I would, I would fix them for people. I could take apart a computer, I could diagnose problems. So it was, I was constantly being inundated. And even to this day, my family uses me like tech support constantly. I, like my wife's grandmother is asking me why AOL isn't working. I was because, you know, all their members are literally dead. Grandma. <laughs> um, and I also, um, I took a job, a horrible job at a place at UT that was called the annual fund. And you called alumni to try and get them to give money to the school. And I did that job, which I, I did not think was very hard, but I was the number one call rep there. I raised more money than anybody, which didn't compensate me any better, but whatever. And so I knew I had, you know, ability to do sales and computers. So I thought about that and Back in the early 2000s, getting into technology was not that hard. You could throw a rock against the wall. Um, so, I, you know, I, I kind of started getting into that. Um, I worked for a company here in Austin that was horrible. Um, and uh, they paid me just 50% commission. There was no money. It was like working for myself. Um, and I started doing really good with like these data deals where I would have companies and, and broker these data deals. Um with them so they could acquire large swaths of consumer information. This is before there were any rules about this kind of thing. It was, it was perfectly legal. The same way that like, it's weird to think of that, like used to, you would just have the white pages, which was a book of everybody's information readily available. It just wasn't easy to digitally absorb that yet, you know, and that happened real fast in the early 2000s. That was all away. Um, and uh, I started making all my money at the time. I made like a, a $5,000 data deal. And I told the company that they need to make me a partner when I was 22. And they're like, no, rightly so. Um, and um, a friend of mine had moved to Manhattan and he needed a roommate. I started thinking about it and I just said, screw it. And I took my laptop and a few thousand bucks and I moved to Manhattan and started my first tech company called Icewater Media out of my apartment in the East Village. And um, New York is great. You know, all the cliches about it. Um, are all true. Everyone works extremely hard there. They need to pay their rent. It's expensive. Um, there's a lot of type A aggressive personalities. And so it really was like going to school of hard knocks. I had no mentorship. I went out there, made money, was swindled, lost, made, and had a great time for six years. And then I came back to visit some friends in Austin and fell in love with the city for completely different reasons, um, like a lot of people do. Um, and I'm just like, why, why am I staying in Manhattan? It's cold. Everyone's pissed off and it's so expensive, you know? Um, so I moved back here and then a client of mine, uh, that was a good client. I started working more with them and they brought me on as an equal partner. And, and that was an ESP or email service provider. And I led that company for about seven years, maybe eight years. Um, and that was a different experience in that becoming part of a more mature company, having partners, we had an investor um, and what that was like, but we, we did have problems where all three partners, nobody wanted the other person to be in charge. So we did not have a CEO. We had myself as a COO, we had chief revenue and the CTO, and this wasn't working very well. Um, 
So my wife was pregnant with my first child. I have three now for the love of God. Um, and she turned to me one night and was like, you've got to quit your job. And I said to her, look, I've just spent the last eight years building this company. We're about to have our first baby. I can't quit. And she said, I've never seen you so unhappy. And this is supposed to be the best time in our life. And so I thought about that all night long. I went in the next day and I said, look, guys, this is happening. I'm leaving. I got my the partner on the phone or the investor on the phone and I'm going to train my replacement. You guys can keep everything, but I'm going. Um, and so I didn't know what I wanted to do next, but I always had an idea for a company and culture that I really wanted to try after I'd been in this industry and done it multiple times, you know, as you get into your thirties and you're more confident and that sort of thing, um, that was really focused on positivity, acceptance, using our success to make an impact on ourselves, families, the environment around us, but also show people you don't have to do it the typical uh, Silicon Valley or New York or now Austin way, which is you are a smart person in technology. You have a great idea. And then you sell your soul to a VC or private equity who doesn't care about you or the employees. Now, look, it's certainly no disrespect to anybody that does that. It's a great model. And if you need money or if I needed to acquire something, you know, it's something we would look into. I'm just saying what I wanted to try in this business and keep, um, nobody out. So, I had some consumer facing websites, uh, in the summer of 2000 and got my first browser based push notification from Facebook. And so I was on Facebook, uh, this little notification box came up and I clicked allow and I didn't think about it. And then the next day, a notification came up on the bottom right hand of my screen and I wasn't on Facebook. So coming from an email world, I was just amazed by this technology. I was like, so. They click allow once you send whatever you want. Like, this is amazing compared to email, which we've all dealt with so many problems and, you know, deliverability, blah, blah, blah. Is it actually that person? Um, so long story short, I, I, I um, looked to see that that technology was on the market. It was not. And um, while I'm not a developer, I understand technology really well and I can architect and productize things. So uh, I architected this and I put it on a website called Guru com, which is like eBay for developers. And, um, I found a person out of Canada that could develop it. It took me and this, this, this person two months and we turned it live and we saw a 30% boost in productivity on all three of the websites that I own, which is revenue in my world and clients started using it. And I said, that's it. We're productizing Pushnami, uh, January 1st, 2017. And the rest, as they say, is history. We now power 10,000 websites globally. We deliver over a billion notifications a day, which blows my mind at this point. It's um, so crazy because I remember when you got to your, we were actually in, uh, we were on a, a trip in uh, BVI and you were just getting to your first billion. Um, and true. that was a big deal. And you had your counter and we had, there was a part, I mean, that, and now you're doing a day. I can still remember taking the picture in front of the counter with like the six people I was working with. And we were so excited that we did that. Like, it was crazy that yeah. we had gotten that far. Um, and now it's just another day. And that's uh, so, so, truly how technology is, you know, like that's, that's how it grows sometimes. We've joked in the past that you have a hard time explaining to others what exactly it is you do. Right. And, and that's because I think that people subconsciously click allow and then they start being delivered these messages. So what I wanted to ask you is um, to put this in more like kind of, I mean, a billion messages a day is obviously mind boggling. I think people have a hard time understanding exactly how many a billion, you know, really is versus a million or whatnot. But um, sure. tell us about your company growth. So, you know, I know you were ABJ Fast 50 number one in 2020 with something like 2000% growth in the $10, $10 million plus category. So you've taken this, this isn't just some sort of, you know, tech piece that's not that, that's that's not moving the needle at all. I mean, you guys are turning this into real revenue for your customers. So sorry. So, so tell us about your growth. I mean, you've, you've grown a ton up to 2020 and beyond. What, what are some of the impressive numbers you guys have? Yeah. So, you know, we did a million the first year for the second, 10, the third, all the way up to um, last year, I, I believe we went above 60 million in sales. And so what, what, thank you. Thank you. It's been an amazing experience. Um, the thing we did is we started showing people that at least have high volume websites, 
using push technology as a requirement to stay competitive. Just like you could build a website and not do email, but you would be at such a disadvantage. So if you are not doing this, your competitor is. But also the fact that it is a new technology, particularly compared to email. A lot of people are very familiar with email now, but even then they struggle with finding someone at their company to run this or manage it effectively. So when we got in the third year to our thousandth website, I started realizing that we should invest very heavily into machine learning. This is before the AI thing happened, but machine learning was becoming a thing. And this allowed us to optimize and manage uh, and help our clients at scale without adding a lot of human beings. Because at a thousand websites, even if I had a team of a hundred human beings working every day, they'd never be able to get to every single website uh, weekly or much less daily. So machine learning allowed us to offer solutions at a much larger scale and allowed us to get to 10,000 websites again without adding things. And so when we work on that machine learning solution, we're working on one solution that effectively increases the productivity of all of our clients and then release it outward that way. So, so is there a difference? It's in, so you talk about machine learning and that's really kind of before AI. So, you know, and right now AI is all the rage. What's the difference between machine learning and AI? Yeah. Machine learning allows you to analyze data um, at a large scale and then provide solutions or get information out of it. Uh, so, you know, it's still data scientists involved, that kind of thing. So, for example, you know, if we sent a billion notifications yesterday, you know, how do you analyze that data about what delivered, what clicked, what time of day, all those kind of things can be plugged into machine learning who will come up or it will come up with solutions if used effectively that says, oh, you should be sending at the afternoon rather than the morning to these particular people. And so it allows us to treat every individual as a decision of when to send them, what to send them, how to send them by using the entire database's worth of things. So these are things that, again, humans cannot do. There's no amount of analysis if you're trying to get down to an individual. Um, so machine learning has been very helpful with that, with, with organizing your data in order to make smart decisions. Okay. So I was talking to a company uh, that their deal was, you know, we can help you target when somebody's moving and when they might need a mortgage and, and yes. all of these things. But as I'm talking, they kept saying we use AI, proprietary algorithms, all of this. And I'm listening to the guy talk and it didn't, it, what it sounded to me like was all you're doing is taking a spreadsheet and putting this, you're, you're putting this information in a spreadsheet. It, it sounds like they're using the term AI as like, this is how I'm going to sell it to you. But it didn't really seem to me that it was artificial intelligence. It seemed more of this machine learning aspect. Do you think that, I see you nodding your head yes. Do you think, that, are a lot of companies doing that and repurposing the term machine learning to AI as clickbait sales, all of that? I'd say 90% of the companies out there that are saying either machine learning or AI are full of crap. Yeah. They are not doing either one of those things. They're using an algorithm. That's the keyword. You just said algorithm. Basically, it's just an algebraic equation that, that anybody with eighth grade math can probably come up with. And those work really well, too. I, I don't want to fool people. A lot of people think that like machine learning and especially AI is a magic bullet, and it's not. Human beings are still very difficult to beat and as far as intuition and understanding. Um, so, you know, a lot of companies are still very successful using human data analysts to go ahead and manually make decisions versus machine learning. Machine learning is hard and AI is much harder to get right. But yeah, I, I think machine learning definitely before AI was being used all over the place. And I would constantly call companies out like that's not machine learning. That's just an algorithm. If you want to call it machine learning because it makes you feel good or helps you sell your product, go right ahead. Same thing with AI. Um, a lot of people are saying that kind of thing. Is not, yeah. uh, it reminds it. me a lot, um, you know, years ago, I think 2006, 2007, I, I, I dove into SEO really, really hard. Uh, that was whenever that was a big rage. Like, how do you get to the top of the search engine? And whenever I spoke with a lot of vendors, 
they would construct this black box, right, with with SEO, and and they wouldn't ever tell you how it worked. They just said, no, these are these are our techniques. Um, you know, we'll get you amazing results, right? So there's this is what you need to pay me. Goes into the magic black box. Amazing results come out at the other end, but. I can't explain to you how it works because either you're not smart enough or it's too complex or something like that. And it's what reminds, it's what a lot of these vendors remind me of right now. Um, If you use our product, which has a magic AI black box, uh, then money's going to come out on the other end of it. Can't explain to you how, but if you just pay me enough, you'll, you'll see the magic work. Yeah, I see that too. I'm always highly suspect of that. If, if you really had SEO figured out, where you could just magically make it go. I don't think you would give it out to anybody. I think you would keep it and make hundreds of millions of dollars personally. But there is certainly checklists that people can go through. I often find it's not some amazing technological solution though. They're just like doing the right things you're supposed to do. And maybe they have a few secret sauce tricks, all good, you know, and certainly charge for those services, but I'm always suspect of those things. Yeah. Um- Super interesting. I mean, you have so much data in front of you and I can see why machine learning is, is absolutely necessary. Like you said, there aren't probably human beings on earth to optimize the track that you guys have. Um, how to make it relevant to say an agent or an LO, how, how much, how much data do you have to have? I mean, at what point do you start caring about, about machine learning? At what point do you start caring about AI? Yeah, you have to give machine learning a lot of data to make it make really good decisions. Otherwise algorithms are going to be just fine or even intuition. You know, if it's a hundred records, you're almost better served just to look at yourself and what can you extract from that or test. Right. But I think when you start getting above 10,000 data points, you could particularly do it. The important thing though, is not only to have that data, but to have fresh data coming in that's constantly being absorbed and training the model as it's put. So you can make the best decisions as quickly as possible. So right now we train um, six times a day at our company and that's expensive to do. Um, we, we used to only train once a week and then we got down to a day, but training a, a model is expensive too um, at scale. It requires a lot of electricity at the end of the day. Um, so I'd say 10,000 is a good sta- starting point if you're getting a good amount of data coming in constantly. So you have 10,000 records and then to, just to make it applicable, I have 10,000 people that I know have registered on a website or something like that. Uh, what yeah. data do I need to see coming in and refreshing in order to make it in order to make it relevant for machine learning? That's a really good question. And one of the reasons machine learning can be helpful is you should try to give it everything you possibly can. Um, so uh, I know it, it, it's, it's counterintuitive to think, well, why don't I just get 10 really good metrics that I know that matter and feed that in there. But with machine learning, that's the amazing part. It could be 174 metrics and put it in there. And let's just see what it comes out with, you know, and maybe it can extract something that you're not quite understanding. And again, I mean, analyzing 10,000 records with 174 data points is impossible for human to do, you know, it's just, it's just too much to go on or, or it takes an exorbitant amount of time. Are you putting all this record when you're analyzing this data? Is this, are these systems that you've purchased? Is the systems that you've built out internally? What is, what does that look like? Yeah, well, we're we're cloud-based for sure. And that has helped this, this company, all my other companies, I had a server, a massive server in like a place like Chicago, because it's centrally located where you literally had to go get your hand scanned and go in there and when it would break, we would lose our minds and be screaming at some poor dude in Chicago, like, I'm going to come there and kill you if you don't fix this now. We're de-, you know, like, and the, this company, I, I decided to only use 21st century technology. So we're hundred percent in the cloud, which everybody's doing now. Um, we use really modern uh, technology. So before I would use things like PHP and SQL, which were traditionally thought, but those cannot handle what we do now. We use things like Redshift, Go, um, you know, Mongo, these are called no SQL databases. And the amazing thing about that, to put it more in a layman's term is we think about databases like rows and you have all these rows, right? And that's the SQL model where 
it, it, it works really good. But now that you're getting into big data in, in, you know, we're in 2024 now, it's not early 2000s, big data is big. They cannot handle that. And so with something like NoSQL, you'd have to think of it more as like every single record is its own Word document. And you can put unlimited information in that Word document and it grows, but it doesn't slow down either. You can put all of these Word documents together and it can move in and out really fast. Um, so it, again, we're going to hit the limits of my technological understanding at a certain point, but I, I can tell you things like that in the cloud can go. The only ancillary we're seeing is that like, as we get bigger and we have all this data, the US prices are actually starting to factor in our decisions now. And, um, you know, there's a reason why Jeff Bezos is one of the richest men in the world, you know, to pivot on that and hit that companies like mine are, are very much ingrained in AWS. It'd be hard to leave at this point. So they can, they can raise prices. Good for them. And he can file to sell two and a half billion dollars worth of stock. Yeah. Or, you know, sell that yacht around with his new wife and just live whatever kind of life he's living, you know, I'll, I'll deviate for a second on this because it's really relevant to, to you and me, Max. Like, did you guys see, he just set up permanent residency in Miami for this sale? No, I didn't because of tax sale and you have the tax reasons. That's, that's honestly what's driving. If you want to look at like, what's the, what's the biggest impact to Austin real estate? It's that we're a tax shelter. So when you see like Joe Rogan move to Austin, it's because he had a hundred million dollar Spotify deal and he set up residency, saved 15 million bucks on his, on his taxes. And, and you're going to continue to see a lot of these high net worth individuals, uh, choose between Texas, choose between Florida. You know, it's pretty easy to pick Austin. If you decide Texas, if you're moving to Florida, so that's kind of what's driving our local market. Um, Anyway, sorry to go off on a tangent, but I, I saw that the other day that he was setting up permanent residence there. And I said, of course he is. I would do the exact same thing. Not that I would ever be in a situation, but it just makes perfect sense. So, yeah, this is all for our gain. I don't know what Delaware, New York, or California is thinking right now, but if they think in the long run that this is going to help them, I, I think they're going to be sorely mistaken. I mean, California is the only state that's going to be okay. And that's just because of his natural beauty. Like there's a, a million reasons to love to love yeah. California. Yeah. And most of these, sorry to keep on the topic, but most of these high net worth people, you know, you have to stay in Austin or, or wherever for six months in a day. Well, it just so happens Austin's pretty freaking nice for six months in a day out of the year. And then you just go back to California and that's where you live the rest of the year. So anyway, yeah, you know, it's, to in, it's interesting too, at a previous company I worked at, uh, one of the executive teams, uh, one of the guys on the executive team actually lived in Nevada and set up residence there full time and also had a room at Hotel Irvine uh, in Tuscan that uh, like it was his room. He stayed there. He'd go in uh, Monday morning and he'd check out Thursday afternoon and he'd go back home and then he'd come back. And, you know, he, he that's that's what he did. So anyway, thought that was interesting. But, but Emerson, when we talk about when we talk about ahead, yeah. AI. Yeah. Sorry. When we talk about AI um, specifically, you know, you get into that. And like we said earlier, it's a big buzz and it's all the rage and no one really knows what it means. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, how is this, as you look over the next 10 years, how is AI really going to impact our personal lives, jobs, workforce? I know in my business, you know, there's programs out there now where people say AI is going to would be able to replace the loan officer. And to your point of uh, having intuition and still having to make human decisions, I'll argue against that all day. But when we look kind of broad, more broadly at it, like what, what do you think that looks like? How are we impacted by that? My experience is it's going to be someplace in between everyone's worst nightmare and everybody's Shangri-La, you know, of what AI is going to bring. Uh, I, I can tell you from my personal experience though, this is going to happen. And it's, it's very similar to my experience with like remote work. You can, you can sit up there and scream that like AI is never going to replace a human, or you can sit up there and scream, like we're coming back to the office, but you're going to find it's going to be real tough out there. And a lot of people are going to go in this direction. And so the ones that win lean in to the acceptance that this is happening. And so I, I've certainly done that. And AI is starting to get really helpful for my business. Um, Let's say machine learning is really good at analyzing all the data. All right. Like ChatGPT is not going to be a good solution face right now to say, Hey, here's a billion records. Tell me what this means. It doesn't, the machine learning is good for this. 
Now, if we're telling it though, hey, I don't want human beings to write my advertising creative anymore. And here is all the best advertising creative that we've had. Write me new advertising creative every day. AI is going to crush that. And it's getting better every week. I mean, lights out good. Uh, the images are getting better. The video thing is scary as hell, um, how good that's moving. And so there is definitely going to be a lot of people that find they do not have a job in, and it's going to come faster than everyone thinks. I think two years time, you're going to see it already right now. Um, you're seeing it across the board with copyright. Okay. That's, a, that's a great job. It's a hard job. I'm just saying, if you have to write 10 pieces of content every week on traveling to Oklahoma, okay, as a human being, it doesn't matter how great a writer you are, or how passionate you even are, you're going to blow your brains out with, for lack of a better thing, but you're, you're not going to be able to do it after a few weeks. It, it's just, you're going to be like, this is mind numbing. I cannot do it. AI is not going to get tired and it is happy to keep writing on the subject over and over and learning what consumers want and putting fresh ideas and things like that is not going to get tired. So uh, an entire company that did nothing but ghostwriting and copywriting in Austin has already melted down. Right. Um, so this is 200 people without a job. And you're going to see that graphics designers, I think, are going to really be in a run for their money as it gets better. And, you know, we've all experimented with it. Like, you just tell it more and more what you want, and it does a pretty good I, I, job. Like, I'm starting to see five fingers now on people's hands. So like, <laughs> you know what? But, you know what I'm excited about that I think is probably next uh, level one customer support. That's a, yeah. that's a miserable job, right? You're, you're talking to people over and over all day about here's how you reset your password. Here's how you restart your computer, things like that. Or in mortgage loan servicing, right? Uh, you're calling in for something that's pretty mundane. It's impossible for a human being to stay pleasant all day long and really like, really like that job. They already have years and years of data that they can just go train these new train these models on and they can answer most of these basic questions i think here here's where it runs into a problem though this is funny so this will be one of those in-betweens like that is a shangri-la like oh good you know happy customer service the problems can be when you start using your ai assistant to deal with this <laughs> you have a customer support problem and it's not going to get tired and neither is their customer support so your AI is going to be like, look, I have a problem. Their AI is going to be like, sorry to hear about your problem. This is why it's not our fault. And then it's going to say, no, this is why it is your fault. And they're just going to go back and forth, you know, 80 <laughs> times during the day explaining why, no, this is your fault. No, this is your fault, you know, and just in very pleasant, happy way that, you know, nobody's even watching this go round and round. It's sort of like the, you know, there's, there's all these applications in the legal profession, right? And so <laughs> is that going to happen? Are we going to just like send our robots out on the battlefield to, to duke it out? And then we just figure out, we just figure out who wins at the end, at the end of the day. Hey, sorry, I mean, do you mind sharing? You texted me a couple of days ago. You just bought a car, right? Yeah. Do you mind sharing what you, what you did? I thought that was hilarious. So on a personal note, ChatGPT is starting to save me between half an hour to an hour's worth of my time every day. That's amazing. At this point, I've trained several different models personally to deal different things. Like I have conflict resolution that has helped me in a lot of incidents with yeah. anger lately. Yeah, Emer um, Emerson, Emerson GPT for the kids, dad GPT. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty good. Um, you know, health things like understanding, like I, I recently got my blood work done and it said everything was good, but I didn't, there's like 40 different phrases on there. And I just asked it to explain what this means. And, you know, how do I raise or lower it? And it, it shot out really good. Actually, I don't have to contact a, a you know, professional about that. But let's take, I was getting a new car, all right? And the dealership, of course, you know, everyone hates dealing with dealerships. It's my worst nightmare. I don't want to spend my time doing this. This is stupid. You're going to go back to your manager and round around, right? You know, so I emailed them and I said, okay, I'm trading in my car. This is the car I want. You know, show me the financials of what you're going to give me this car. And they lowballed the hell out of me on the car value. I can see online what other people were paying for the car. And I found another dealership that was willing to just buy the car. And I put all the information of emails that I took from both guys into this trained model. I said, okay, what should I say to each one? I copied and pasted via text exactly what it said to each one. And, and 
the, the whole time, they're really not dealing with me. They're dealing with ChatGPT, but fine. And so I, by the end of it, the, the offer by the other guy was $13,000 higher than the original guy's thing. And the original dealership had raised their offer by $11,000. And even when I got to the dealership, one, one thing about the new car was incorrect. <laughs> Uh, it just didn't have the seats I wanted, whatever. So I asked ChatTV what to do and it told me don't say anything and just sit there. And so I literally just sat there looking unhappy like that and the guy would like him and ha and, and I just didn't say anything and they went back and he offered me another thousand dollars, which is great. And then even during the negotiation where they take you in that room and they try to sell you stuff or whatever, I ended up leasing the car rather than buying it, which I never do because I walked through all the money points, all the different things in ChatGPT and which was better for me. And so I ended up leasing the car and it even showed these huge mathematical equations about why this was the superior choice. So learning how to use this can really, I think be amazing help. And um, I, use it to, I use it to write rap songs. Like whenever Allie couldn't find her yoga pants the other morning. So I had Chad GBT write a rap about her not being able to, she, it, it does a really good job of annoying her. I don't know that it's saving me any time <laughs> at all, but it, you know, it's entertaining. That's awesome. I've, I've used it to like, normally I read to my children every night. And so like with my, my seven-year-old, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Tell me what you want to be on. And she's like, kangaroo, fairies, blah, blah, blah. And I just told ChatGPT, I want this for my seven-year-old, write me chapter one. And I, it wrote it. And so I read it to her. She loved it. She's like, can I hear another chapter? I was like, write chapter two, you know, just like that. Me and my friends uh, that I grew up with in Dallas, uh, we've started this joke, threw this out one time. He called it... <laughs> My, he said he was going to write his memoirs, uh, the story of my life from birdie to bogey. <laughs> and, and now, like, as we talk, like, <laughs> all these chapters keep coming up. And so I've started compiling them with the goal of actually write, having ChatGPT write this book. And here's all the different chapters about it. I've already I already had ChatGPT create his uh, create the uh, the image that we'll use. Um, it's it's great. It's great. It's hilarious. It's uh and it, you know, it's, it's so many things. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, the, the, the bad part about some of these, like ChatGPT is, is obviously the winner right now. I mean, I've tried them all. They're a joke compared to ChatGPT. Just get my personal opinion. No offense to anybody out there doing that. Um, it's nerfed so badly now because they, I mean, they say, you know, they only want to teach it positive things. They don't, they don't want this, this flywheel going around learning worse and worse things. So it doesn't take over the earth and kill us all, you know? So it wants things to be positive, put in a positive spin and the content being generated and absorbed going in a positive way. The problem is, is it does interfere with comedy, um, you know, ideas in an adult way. It's okay to think crazy things and things like that. And chat GPT is very nerfed in that way. It will not allow you to do things it feels is harmful or not PC or things like that. And so that part is tough. Whereas you try something like Grok on, yeah. on X, it's, it's a lot funnier. I mean, it's, it's really funny. And so if you're writing a rap song, I encourage you to try it on Grok and see it's what happens. Funny. I, I signed up for, for Grok and I actually killed it after like two days because it didn't seem like the quality was anywhere close to ChatGPT. but there's the use case right there. The rap songs, they'll be, they'll be much yeah, better yeah. humor. So how do you do, so let me ask you this while we're talking about that. Cause one thing about you, Emerson, uh, you seem to always be in the know. You were the first one to tell me about ChatGPT a year ago before it was like a thing. Like, and you were very like, check this out. It's coming. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And I know there's been other, other things in your field and just in life in general, where you seem to be in the know before most people. How do you, is that just because of the business that you're in or how do you, how do you find out about these things first and how do you stay on top of it? And how do you, how do you learn about all these things really before most people? Yeah, I'd say you know, the honest answer is fear drives me more than anything. I'm in technology and it's moving so fast. And if I do not stay ahead of this, you will be a dinosaur so quick. And I, I see it happening with, with good technology providers or companies that I really liked that were successful four years ago that are, are almost bankrupt or closing now because they failed to, to pivot or innovate, understanding where the market is going. So if you're in tech, 
you really got to be looking what's coming up in the next two years and investing heavily now. Otherwise, you know, somebody else is going to do it. And by that time, you're going to be so far behind. So I'm, I'm looking at it like, look, there's a company in Austin now using AI. It's 10 people and their valuation is $900 million, 10 people. So you, it's one of these things is it, that's going to be a downside. A, a lot of companies are going to be able to do a lot more with less people. And we're going to have to figure that out as a society, what that means. But you, you, th that's what drives me. I'm always thinking yeah. about, is my competitor going to do this? If I don't understand this, what's going to happen? So I'm, I'm constantly out there playing and, and goofing around stuff. Oh, I'm happy. I consider you one of the smartest people I know. And, and I'm happy. I, I don't consider myself that, but I'm happy to hear that we do share that underlying paranoia because I feel like that's, I feel like that served me pretty well in my career. And, and Adam Solomon and I were talking about this, about the very sort of contradictory characteristics that all entrepreneurs have, which is like a lot of optimism and a lot of, and a lot of paranoia. And you have to have those two things that mix together. You have to want to keep going but then also always be concerned that there's like a knife right behind you in order to be truly successful. So. Sign of the entrepreneur. They usually are very scared of their competitors more so than they need to be in most situations. Um, but that, that's how I feel. And I think that's, that's a, a common drive. Like you said, that you, you find well, you're one of the most successful entrepreneurs I know. So it's working, it's working for you. Yeah. Um, pivoting for a minute, but I think it's a good, it, it, it's a good, pivot point, you know, you talked about company size, you talked about the humans involved. We're not going to see humans go away. I, I don't think in our careers, right? We'll, we'll see people become much more efficient. We'll see the size of companies get a lot leaner. Agree with you at some point in time, we have to talk about like UBI, things like that, figure out what people that don't want to work are going to do. But um, yeah. yeah, but right now, so culture is incredibly important. And one thing that I have seen with your company is just how really, really intentional you are about your company's culture. Would you mind like kind of walking us through? It sounds like you've you have been aware of that and been very intentional since the beginning. Um, would you mind touching on that? Because I think it's applicable to everybody who has a company. Yeah, and I, I think if you talk to most CEOs, particularly in tech, this has been number one on what to do since since COVID hit. Um, before COVID, I required everyone to be in the office. I, I made it the best place to work. I mean, it, it continues to be a quarterly goal for our company to be the best place to work um, in Austin. Although maybe that's not even relevant anymore, like best place to work in general, but we, we'd say in Austin. So we made it a really fun culture, an amazing place to come. But like, you know, the benefits and things like that, we have stacked on to people. I'm very much um, invested in my personal health. And so I try to get everyone on a track where not only they're making the most money they ever have in their career, but they're improving themselves somehow. And the company pays for everything as long as it's self-improvement from yoga to continuing education to whatever. If you want to talk about video games, I guess you can talk about it. I don't know. But you know, like as long as it's something that's bettering you, the, the company is on your side and we offer a lot of guidance on that. Um, we get the best benefits out there we possibly can. So 401k, you know, health savings, great insurance, all those things that you would find at like a FANG or something like that, but with a, a small startup kind of environment, that's, that's kind of the combo that we have. I also am a very big proponent of leading from the front. So, uh, you know, I have a wife that doesn't care about this internet thing as she refers to it, you know, and... <laughs> <laughs> I've got three kids that need me. Um, and so, you know, I miss, I, I miss sometimes where I, what, what I could do 10 years ago, which is I could go to work and work 20 hours straight if I wanted to and really crush it. I can't do that anymore. I've got a family that needs me and, and other things like that. So finding other smart people to help us get there, but also realizing that I don't make anybody work harder than I do at this company. And, and I've got all these things. And so I do that. Um, I'm always willing to step up. I, you know, if there's trash on the ground, I pick it up. Um, that kind of thing to show people that like, I'm, I'm not asking you to do more than me. Um, just, just meet me there. What's interesting about that. So, you know, you're obviously tech focused, but you could just as easily be describing like, you know, a home building company or, you know, somebody who owns a number of restaurants. So it's, it doesn't seem to change no matter what it is. What, what service you provide, what product you provide, leading from the front, caring about your employees seems to matter. It seems to matter a ton. 
obviously served you incredibly well. I, I agree with that. The, the interesting experience has been now that we've, we went through COVID and everybody was allowed to work from home and now it's over, right? Uh, you can technically argue what a COVID is over, but in Texas it's over certainly. Um, and um, what happens now? Cause I tried for a year to get everybody to come back into the office and make this magic happen. And I'm literally sitting there in December on a Monday in 5,000 square feet and there's two other people in the office. And so, you know, I checked with a lot of other smart people I know, other CEOs, and they all are saying the same thing. They're trying to get people to come back in the office. Nobody is coming back. And the two CEOs I talked to, including one that's really successful, excuse me, with 300 people here in Austin, they just embraced it and said, they're not coming back. And we're going to lean into remote and they're really happy right now. Um, so I, I did that switch for us and starting this year, everybody is remote, no matter what, nobody's ever required to come in. We're investing a lot of the things that we were investing to make the office great, things like free lunches and on-site masseuses and all that kind of stuff into how to build the culture remotely. So more kind of like in-person trips, more in-person management meetings once a month kind of thing. But it's still, it's still a big problem for me. I, I don't know what's going to happen to the culture. <clears throat> how do you really get to know people? You know, that sort of thing. And we'll find out what happens. With so if it's interesting because we had that same, <clears throat> we had that same issue in my business prior to COVID. Everybody was in the office. And not only that, I wore a tie every day and made everybody, you need to dress as a banker. We're dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars. Like this is a thing. COVID happens. Almost everybody goes home. Some of us stayed in the office. Uh, world got a little bit more casual. Um, you know, not that I watch a lot of Seth Meyers, but you watch him go from wearing a suit and tie every day to wearing a flannel with a roll-up shirt. And I kind of did the same thing. It, like at some point we became a t-shirt company. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I, I wear a college shirt or, or whatever, but keeping that culture together has, that's been problematic. Being remote has helped us in the sense that we can broaden out where we're hiring folks as far as processors, underwriters, secondary marketing. Like there's a lot of play things that open up where we can hire people, compensation, all of that. But then how do you keep everybody connected? So, you know, on our end, we do um, we do virtual company happy hours. We do company trivia. We do a lot of those things. One of the things that I've really tried to mandate and I've gotten a good amount of success with it is that uh, people need to video call everybody and not just pick up the phone. So if I, if I call you, I'm we're video chatting unless for some reason it's not working. And when your camera, like if my camera's on your camera's on and if someone else is calling you, like people need to see each other and at least know who they are. And so that's been one thing that I've really tried to push uh, on this side of things. That's what Luke mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, you know, engagement happens whenever you can see each other's faces. And so if we're, if we were going, if we're going to be remote and we want to try to stay connected, the video becomes, becomes critical. Um, I will suggest, I mean, so we've, real estate has always been remote. Like nobody comes into the office since probably, probably the eighties. Uh, it is a bit different because by nature, I mean, you're going to be in Austin so we can set up, you know, in-person events as well. Um, we do a lot of AMAs, you know, we bring in like, I, if you ever wanted to do an AMA for us, Emerson, I would absolutely love it. Right. Come in, they throw a bunch of questions at you and you just talk and answer. And that's been something that, that seems to work. That seems to work pretty well. Yeah. Max has done it for us. He talks about mortgage, things like that. Um, People are, it always surprises me how much people want to learn uh, and just, you know, they get to, they get to take a break from work for an hour as well. So it's a really good idea. We need to get better at stuff like that. It's so easy just to focus on revenue and, you know, trying to get the things done as opposed to building culture. Yeah. I, I also concur on the zoom thing though. Video is required further. We have implemented what's called zoom protocol, which means we expect, um, uh, uh, and, you know, it doesn't have to be great, but you have to have a real background, not just a, an artificial one. And like, you can't have your bed in the background or something like that. You need to find a place in your house that is appropriate, that looks like you came to work to be business because it's reflecting on whoever you're talking on the other side of the Zoom, you're representing a company. So do you do a dress code or anything like that as well with as part of that protocol? We never had a dress code as long as it wasn't disruptive. <laughs> right. Uh, no, we haven't done that, um, but I, I have asked people to look 
like get it together a little. That that's rare, but every once yeah, in a while, I've, I've not appropriate. You know, you, I've seen not, that too, where you like you get on, and I'm like, hold on, like if you start talking to other people, like don't look like you just got out of bed. <laughs> like yeah. you still need to get up and go to work, even if you did. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't. It doesn't take much. I mean, you don't have to wear pants, right? And you can still look look somewhat presentable. So. I married my brother. I need you to stand up. Do you have pants on right now? Because I need to see you have pants on. That's how every meeting begins. Okay, guys, stand up. Turn around. We had an underwriter uh, at the at the height when it was just hire whoever you could. We had an underwriter who, in the middle of this big underwriting meeting, stood up not thinking about it and she was not wearing pants <laughs> and all the underwriting department saw that she was not wearing pants Emerson, <laughs> so. you know the you know the story about the, the the event that max and i put on where there were there were 300 attendees on zoom right didn't we send that to you like yes. I, I didn't know his video was on he's taking a bath it was amazing yes uh that's my worst nightmare uh <laughs> and it's good to have somebody on the zoom thing that's like has control that can kick somebody up if that happens. But they, all the more reason to maybe wear pants and, you know, come a little bit prepared in case you have to get up or something like that. And you don't want to forget that you're on camera. <laughs> just like you would be a real person. What's next for Pushnami? I, you, you're a huge innovator. What are you guys, what are you guys excited about? What are you working on? AI has been great. It's helping a lot with our content writing and things like that. We've, we've been expanding it into now publishing content for not only our internal websites, but third parties as well. That's been really exciting. Um, I did not want to get back into email. Uh, I already built an ESP, but it's one of these things that like, it just won't go away. So we've been expanding that a lot and uh, we're going we're to try and come close to double revenue this year if we really can, you know, it's, that's a tough, it's, it's tough to grow exponentially the the more you you, you get big but we're, we're going to try and take a big swing at it this year that's a, that's amazing i mean those numbers are huge you're talking about a nine figure year at that point in time hopefully that would be uh, awesome and um every year i'm at this company i'm just like i can't believe this is happening it's, it's been great well good luck and congrats. Well, it's been really awesome phenomenal yeah. yeah yeah it's been really awesome just watching your growth over the last 20 years but specifically over the last seven or eight years and, and just what you continue to do and the things that we talk about that you're doing. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's inspiring. Um, I'm feel very fortunate to call you a friend and you know, a term that me and Eric like to use for each other, which you are definitely a part of is friend tour. 